This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You know the combination. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello, and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 78, and it's about the themes of the iconic Japanese tag team, Gato and Jado. Joining me once again is one half of the Super J-Cast. It's the returning Damon McDonald. Hello, Damon. Uh, hello. Uh, this is my one of the highlights of my Voices of Wrestling journey. I always love to hang out with you, sir, and uh, talk a little music of the mat. It's my one of my favorite podcasts on this network and in general. So it is my pleasure to join you once again. I always have a great time. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I mean, you've, you've always been so kind with your words towards the podcast, and whenever you say them, it's, it's always appreciated, so thank you very much for that. Um, now, the last time you were on the show here, Damon, was just a few months ago after the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour, and since then, um, you've gone and went to Japan yourself yeah. for Wrestle Kingdom and all the, uh, the fun festivities that go along with that, and uh, you and Joel were there both nights at the Tokyo Dome. I believe you got... A little sleepy on the first <laughs> night, but considering just how many strong zeros were pumping through your bloodstream that night, I can't really blame you. <laughs> uh, Andrew, it's 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 the, my biggest problem is is it's there. So if, I got to drink them, right? I mean, <laughs> if somebody brings six, seven, I you know they got to be they got you got you got to polish them off before you get in the building. Um, so yeah, right. Night one was a little rough, but uh, I had a uh, I had a forced pledge of sobriety for night two, so uh, I was fine then, and uh, we made it through unscathed uh, night two. But night one was a little bumpy. Yeah, I'm amazed you fell asleep at all, given just how many people were in the Tokyo Dome that night. I mean, there were forty thousand people in that building, and you got you know bright lights and, and big video screens and speakers, all this noise. You know, just I mean, myself, I can only sleep when there's like complete darkness and maybe a little bit of white noise, like a fan or whatever. But you know, even if I was drunk, it, it's hard to imagine dozing off during Wrestle <laughs> Kingdom. That, that's quite the feat there. Um, uh, let's be very clear here. This is, this wasn't like a, um, put on your PJs and, uh, snuggle up in, on a pillow here. This was, uh, <laughs> the, the body shutting down and saying, mm, <laughs> something, something's poisoning me. Um, yet yeah, look, it, it certainly wasn't a shining moment in, uh, uh a life that has uh, had uh, quite a few of these situations, but, uh, maybe next year. Uh, if and when we do return, uh, I think I, you know what it is. It's it is the meetup, and I explained it on my show. It's the it's always the meetup. The day of the meetup is always a a, a very uh, stressful day for me, to say the least. So um, I'm not very good at meeting people. I'm not very good at uh, big social things. So uh, one of those things that helps me through, unfortunately, is the warm comfort of alcohol. 
and and well, you know, look, it's a long day. So again, my I think my plan next year will be we're gonna we're gonna scrap the meetup. Um, I did break my self-imposed two strong zero rule um, because one of our listeners brought <laughs> he brought a one of every flavor. And again, Andrew, it's it's if it's there, you know, you gotta. You got to be a gentleman and take care of it. You that can't be rude, stuff. you know. You got to take it, right? Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Again, it's not one of the uh, highlights of my life, but um, it did happen. I cannot shy away from it, and uh, yep, I will uh, take the boots for that one. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it through okay. So, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Um, well, anyway, Damon, uh, you and I have done two New Japan grab bags on the podcast before. And uh, surprise, surprise, today we are doing another New Japan-based topic. But instead of a grab bag, we will talk about the theme history of two specific New Japan wrestlers who aren't just wrestlers, but also managers, and for one guy in particular, the head booker of the company. They're known by a few different monikers, Punish and Crush, Team No Respect, the World Class Tag Team, the Complete Players... But they're best known as Gato and Jado. Not Jado. Uh, that, that, that's a pet peeve of mine. People who call him Jado. Um, it's not that. It's it's Jado. The only Jado I know is the one that's married to Will Smith, folks. Huh? <laughs> Jado Pinkett. Come on. Let's go. All right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, anyway, uh, it's Gato and Jado. And um, as I said before, you know, they are one of the more iconic tag teams in Japanese wrestling history. Maybe not so much from like an in-ring standpoint, because they're not what I would call best of the best all-time great wrestlers, but more so from a longevity standpoint, because these guys both debuted in 89, and with the exception of a few moments here and there, they've been teaming together for like almost their entire careers. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible, Damon, just how long this team's been together, especially when you look at so many other tag teams that don't last nearly as long. Yeah, you look at all the stops they've they've been, um, and just think about all the the you know the wrestlers of that era that either they shared a ring or they you know they were around during that time. I mean, it it, it feels like you know if you, if you go back to '93 and just think about all the people that were on top in '93, you know, ECW was a thing, you know. Um, uh, you know, Raven was a thing, and and Tommy Dreamer isn't the Tommy Dreamer that you see now, um, and Shawn Michaels, and you know, just you know, that seems like it was a trillion years ago, and yet we still have these two gentlemen that are so influential um, from their past, and even you know, modern day, the year twenty twenty. Um, they have their finger on the pulse of, you know, arguably, well, I mean, the, the biggest promotion in Japan, and you know, there you can make arguments to say two, three, four, wherever you want to put them, you know, th- he, these two people are still in the mix in 2020. So that's saying something. Right, right. Um, do you remember the first time you ever saw Gato and Jado or heard about them? Because you've been watching wrestling a lot longer than I have, for sure. So, you know, I, I'd imagine you saw them first a lot earlier than I did. Yeah. Um, it would have to be like a compilation tape um, of, you know, either Wing or FMW or wherever they were at that time. Um, it had to be one of the, probably like a Jeff Lynch compilation tape. Um, so I used to. 
felt like every month I would write a check to Jeff Lynch, who was at the time like the guy to get Japanese pro wrestling tapes. And he had this catalog um, that was in this script typeface um, that he would send out. And uh, that was, I mean, I can't put my finger on exactly the tape or exactly the match or what have you, but I would be getting a lot of, you know, what they would be considered, you know, the garbage indie stuff from Japan in the 90s, your FMWs, your wings. So, you know, you would have, you know, Headhunters and you would have, uh, you know, Mr. Pogo and you would have Onita and you would have, you know, all these different things. Um, And we would get compilation tapes. So we would pay extra to have him just put on specific matches from specific tapes. So, of course, you know, you're hearing about like piranha death matches and, you know, exploding barbed wire, you know, and all this craziness that you would just, you know, you couldn't believe what was going on. Um, And we would get like a tape of just those type of matches. So, yeah, I'm thinking that's probably the first time I I saw either of them Um, was probably a Jeff Lynch compilation tape. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but um, there was a cable access show here in Massachusetts called Tokan Ratsudan. This is like mid-2000s, and it was a couple of guys doing English commentary over Japanese wrestling matches. And on their website, they had a bunch of their old shows on, like, you know, Google Video. <laughs> that's how far wow. back this was. And that's where I discovered so many Japanese wrestlers for the first time, including Gato and Jado. So... That was my initial foray into just knowing who they were. And then when I got into New Japan big time in like 2013, 2014, that's when I really got to know them as members of Chaos and Gato as Okada's manager. And then, of course, going back, oh, okay, Gato was in the first Super J Cup and he wrestled Jericho that one time in WCW and both him and Jado were in FMW and War and all these other places. So that was when they became regular fixtures in my wrestling fandom and six seven years later they still are you know they're still major factors in my favorite promotion new japan not so much as wrestlers anymore you know they still do the occasional match every now and again but more so as managers and especially backstage where gato is the head booker of the company and jato is his advisor yeah and that's pretty amazing I'm, I'm still fascinated by that cable access channel that had to be pretty wild growing up and just popping that on and, and having access to that kind of stuff. We didn't have any of that down here in Philly. Um, certainly not. Not you, know, you. You were trading tapes, and uh, that's that's pretty. So it was just a, a you know. W- w- give me give me a time frame. Like was it Saturday night at like one o'clock in the morning. What time? Oh, I, what time was this on? I, I never watched it on TV itself. Like oh. they had the on demand thing on their website that had uh. a bunch of their shows. That that's how I got it. But. Yeah, I'm sure it was on at like, you know, Saturday at 9.30 or Tuesday at 10 on local access channel 53 or whatever it was. Yeah, but but yeah, they had a bunch of stuff on there, like, you know, primarily New Japan, All Japan. But they also had some Noah, they had some Toriyaman, a little bit of Michinoku Pro. And like I said, that was my introduction to so many wrestlers like Tanahashi, Nakamura, Misawa, Kobashi, Chono, Nagata, Tenzan. The list goes on and on of all these big guys I discovered through this little show from, I think it was Carver, Massachusetts, I believe it was. So there you go. Wow. That's pretty great. I, I wish, like I said, I wish we had something like that. We definitely didn't, but um, yeah, good, good hats off to them. Exposing Andrew Rich to the worlds of Japanese pro wrestling. <laughs> like, like if they, if they only knew what they, what they were responsible for. <laughs> 
But, uh, but yeah, Gato is the head booker in New Japan, and he's been doing it for quite a few years now. And it's pretty incredible to look back in time, you know, and, and see how this random guy from Wing and War and FMW rose up the ranks in New Japan and took that company to such tremendous financial success and creative success and made all these big wrestling stars. I mean, he really has become, you know, this kingmaker of sorts in New Japan, Damon. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do, and again, I've never met him, and I've never sat down and had a, had a conversation with the man, but um, you know, everything that you learn and everything that you read and everything that you see and listen to points to the fact that he is an absolute student of this art form, um, and that kind of goes down to you know, some of the, 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 the music selections that they, that they have for their theme music, you know, the the heavy influence, and people talk about it all the time, how have the heavy influence of the, the Southern pro wrestling, the Memphis, the Mid-South, the Bill Watts, the UWF, um, and, and that kind of stuff that, that really tickled his fancy and that, that episodic TV slash sports um, slash wackiness of pro wrestling, that American pro wrestling, that that kind of you see traces of that through even to today in in his booking style and the way that he treats his championships and especially the the heavyweight championship but also the way that it kind of trickles down to even some of the mid-card stuff and the opening you know match stuff um how heavily influenced he was by that american style pro wrestling and even Japanese wrestling, of course, but again, a lot is always mentioned about how he kind of cherry picks from all these different eras and all these different promotions to kind of find the best of pro wrestling and, and, and create this hodgepodge, this soup that's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, obviously, Okada is the ace in the hole, no pun intended there. I mean, that dude is just a megastar, but you've also got the Okada-Tanahashi feud. Um, the whole Naito storyline, booking Nakamura as a strong IC champ to to build up that belt as a 1B title to headline shows, elevating Kenny Omega into main event superstardom, um, elevating Will Ospreay into being the big star he is now, the AJ Styles run, which started off shaky but proved to be very successful in the end. You know, you've got all this stuff that, as Joe Lance would put it, you know, has made Gato a first ballot Hall of Fame booker. You can't deny that this dude is just a tremendous wrestling mind. Not perfect. You know, he does have his missteps. I mean, I think everybody and their mother has complained about the booking of the tag divisions over the years, and for good reason, too. But when it comes to the big picture stuff, the stuff that really matters in the end, he gets the job done, Damon. I think that's what his biggest uh, – I mean, we just talked about one one aspect of, of what he does and why I'm personally a big fan of it. I, I think another thing is is that – while he might, all thoughts might funnel through him, he isn't um, arrogant enough or conceited enough or um, boastful enough to not take input from other resources. And whether that's Liger or whether that's Yuji Nagata or whether that's uh, other people in that locker room that, that are respected. And even, you know, people that might be, you know, people that maybe you might not even think would have input, they actually do. Um, and again, all all roads end with him, but 
he isn't, uh, uh, you know, so close-minded and so this is my ship and and I'm going to sail it wherever we need to go. It, you know, it's my understanding from from a lot of people that I've spoken with is that he does allow that feedback and he does allow other ideas and opinions and and options to filter through his decision making when it comes to not only the big picture stuff, but even stuff as small as maybe you know uh, you know tag belts or intercontinental or um, you know undercard stuff. Listen, he's not perfect. Right when it comes to booking, right, and and he has plenty of 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 things that you can wag your finger at and be like, "Ugh, I wish this was better," or or I wish they would focus more attention on certain things. But to me, you know, it, it begins and ends with that heavyweight championship, and his and and I don't think during his time, I, I've had many complaints when it comes to the heavyweight title situation. And again, all the other things that he has had is, you know, say, I mean, Bullet Club. I mean, there's, you, it's hard to deny a, that global phenomenon. And, I, and again, I wouldn't necessarily say it was an NWO situation. But, you know, you go to any indie show in the United States and you're guaranteed to see Bullet Club t-shirts. Um, and that's a, you know, a, a, a bunch of different reasons involved in that. But, you know, you got to credit, you know, at least the booking committee from New Japan Pro Wrestling for a having faith and b running hard with that idea of that heel faction that was pretty dominant and still is dominant in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's get to these themes here. Uh, almost all of them were used by both Gato and Jado in their careers. They started out in the New Japan Dojo, debuting on March 19th, 1989, but they would soon leave and go to a number of promotions like the UWF, the UWA in Mexico, and CMLL as well. They had a few interesting names prior to using Gato and Jado, uh, Punishing Crush, as I mentioned there before. They also went by their real names, Akiyoshi and Takayama. They also had some names that were um, a bit more offbeat, shall we say. Uh, Gato was once known as Bulldog KT, uh, KT being his initials. And Jado was once known as Cooley SZ. <laughs> and for you younger folks out there, uh, Cooley is an older term used to describe indentured servants from like Asia and Africa. Not a nice term, I might add. It's considered an offensive slur nowadays. So, Jado having the name Cooley as Z, it's a little bit awkward there, Damon. It is. And, and I will say, you want to, if you want a little uh, old school Philadelphianisms, uh, that particular term is also used to describe, um, and this was back in the day, mind you, in the 80s and such. Uh, it was also used to describe. Uh, Women's reproductive parts, Andrew. Um, so, yeah, when I first heard that, I thought that was pretty weird, to say the least. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, I, I kind of like where they settled, right? I think, I think where they settled has, they has, is a nice little sweet spot for them. Yes, yes. Uh, the names Gato and Jado uh, play out a little bit better, I think. Than those other names do, for sure. Uh, but uh, uh, Gato, for those curious, is Japanese for outside road, and Jado is Japanese for evil way. So from the get-go, it's setting them up as heels for the majority of their careers there, Damon. 
Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think we're going to see them anytime uh, in, a, in a predominant babyface role for either of those two. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, they would join the promotion Wing in 1993. W Star Ing. Their theme there is by ZZ Top off of the album Eliminator. This is Sharp Dressed Man. <laughs> So I first played this a little while back on the Real Songs from the Territories episode with Jeff Hawkins, and this is a song that was very popular back in the day among the wrestlers. It was used by the Fantastics, the Fabulous Ones, um, Barry Windham, Jimmy Garvin, uh, Silver King of all people at one point, and it was also used by Gato and Giotto, which you know may seem a little bit odd at first because Gato and Giotto are not exactly you know mirror images of the Fantastics or Barry Windham or whomever, but as you said, Damon, Gato is a student of the game, and he's a huge fan of old-school Memphis wrestling. He loves that old American territory stuff. I mean, hell, he does that every show nowadays with the whole, you know, Bullet Club heel manager shtick. So him and Giotto coming out to sharp-dressed man for a good portion of their careers falls right in line with who these guys are, Damon. Yeah. This song was massive. This group was massive. Um... Again, I'll use the term back in the day. Um, this album, Eliminator, from ZZ Top, was was huge. Um, it had so many hits. And this, like there are songs in my life that I absolutely correlate with my love of pro wrestling. And I probably wouldn't enjoy half as much if it weren't for that association with pro wrestling. And yeah, when I hear this song, I do think Fantastics, uh, especially. And I and I just hear Jim Ross, you know, telling me how it's breaking down at the T- at Tulsa, Oklahoma Convention Center, uh, you know, with Terry Taylor right, you know, right by his side. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could see. I, I would think that. If, if, if he's not just a little bit younger than I am, we're probably close to the same age. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just that it's one of those Southern style Memphis mid-South type of songs played by all of those guys back in the day. And again, it was just such a massive song, Andrew. It was, oh, I know. It was, it was everywhere. Um, you couldn't turn on a radio and not hear a ZZ Top song um, at one point. It, that summer, they were massive. Yeah, this, uh, Give Me All Your Lovin', yep. Got Me Under Pressure, Legs, 
Legs. That was another big one. I mean, yeah, this was just a massive album for them, and it really brought them a whole new generation of fans, especially with MTV and the music videos for these songs. I mean, I mean, they already had a fan base before, of course, with you know Lagrange and Tush and Cheap Sunglasses, I Thank You, Pearl Necklace, and, and all those songs, but this one took them to a whole new level. Yeah, this was radio friendly, and again, the beginning of music videos and. You know, they had the snappy ones with the the three girls and, and that silly car and the, and the keychain with the ZZ Top logo and all that nonsense. Um, I mean, it was radio friendly and it just it, it hit at the right time. And yeah, again, I mean, I can't I can't, you know, push hard enough how massive this group was, especially for this album. And relating it back to wrestling here, you know, it's the classic cocky heel theme song you know see how good we look and how good our clothes are and the ladies want to be with us and so forth every girl crazy about a sharp dressed man the irony here being that gato and Jado have never been sharp dressed men <laughs> like their fashion sense <laughs> no. is is so terrible between like the bright red and yellow half shirts with the martial arts pants and the weird haircuts and the flame jerseys the bandanas and even nowadays with the kangol hats and the skull gear like they've never been paragons of fashion um, or ladies men for that matter. So it's pretty funny in that regard, Damon. It kind of is. And that's, I think that's what adds to the appeal. Yeah, you're right. They really weren't fashionistas by any stretch of the imagination. And even now, you know, with the track pants and, you know, and the Kangol hats and uh, the Air Jordans, um, <laughs> a little, little grimy uh, to say the least. And even before that was uh, again, we're not we're not thinking about Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton coming out with the uh, the tux jackets and the bow ties, kissing girls at ringside. This is not what you're getting from these two gentlemen, for sure. Mm. I mean, in a way, it's a classic heel move, you know, using a song that totally doesn't fit your aesthetic to boost your ego or, or mock the fans. Kind of like the Rougeos using All American Boys in the WWF. Like, obviously, they're not All American Boys, but that's the point. They're trying to get a, a rise out of people. Yeah. And, and and I don't know how much like it would play to a Japanese audience. I mean, that I can't say if they would get the irony of that. Um, I, I will say this, though. I mean, you know, if you didn't understand a word of English, that's 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 a song to come out to, though. You know what I mean? Like that's it, it feels a little bit more babyface feel. But I mean, if you again strip away lyrically um, what they're saying. And that's, I mean, you go through the curtain, you're, you're, you got a little tap in your toes, and yeah, you could play that up to be a cocky heel, absolutely, just from the song alone. So also in 93, uh, Gato and Jado got a new version of Sharp Dressed Man. They would use it for the majority of the decade, starting in Wing, but when that closed down in 94, they would use it in War, FMW, New Japan, All Japan, ECW even, so all over the place. This is off of the album called Wing, which featured various theme songs. It's by a band called Bloods, and it's their version of Sharp Dressed Man.
So there isn't a massive difference between the original version and this new one. It is an instrumental with the guitar taking the place of the vocals, but it does have the same structure, the same tempo, all that stuff. But this new version does make a few key changes to make it feel like a proper Gato and Jato theme, as opposed to just a song that they picked from the American territories or whatever. The first one being the Stinger, which has the Asian gong, and we are Jato Gato, ha ha ha, which obviously tells you right away that this is a Gato and Jato theme. And the other change, of course, being the instrumentation, which is still rock and roll, but it's added like an East Asian synth flair to it with a which localizes it more towards Japanese wrestling as opposed to the ZZ Top version which is great but this makes it fit more into the world of Wing and War and the other Japanese companies there Damon I absolutely love this version <laughs> I and it's funny because um, you when we talked about this particular episode um, you are always kind enough to kind of, you know, help remind all of your guests um, of the music that is going to be played. And I played this again, and I was like, oh, this is tremendous. I remember this. So and again, the, the part that you, that sticks out for me is a very uh, the very part that stuck out for you, where it was, you know, ZZ Top, it was all guitars. But it was that, that tinty synth sound. Um, that I kind of associate it with, like, again, like that m metally sound of like early synth pop bands, almost, right? Um, I I love this version, I, and, and to me, I would have loved them to have this forever, right? To to me, I would have preferred this version over the original Sharp Dressed Man every single time, all, all day long. Um, I think it's fitting. I think it fits them to a T. Um, I just, I love the, the little bit of rearrangement. You said it's by this band Bloods, you said? Yes. I love it. I absolutely love this. Um, you had the stinger in the in the beginning. Um, I, to me, this is their theme song, right? And this is this, this is and this version I I will always associate with these two. And the good thing about it is that it's not too over the top with the Asian instrumentation. Like, there's the gong, which is what it is, but it's not like this is some overly stereotypical East Asian song like you get with, uh, you know, our next song, which we'll get to soon. Uh, the East Asian influence in this one here is, uh, like I said, it's a little bit of flair, a little bit of garnish, but it's not the main course. The rock and roll part of it is still center stage. So even though there are no vocals here, and even though it does sound a little bit dated, you still get the cocky swagger with the main riff. You still get the driving rhythm. You get the East Asian touches in there. And you get the fun, conniving bad guy stinger at the beginning that lets you know it's a Gato and Jato theme. So it all works out quite nicely there, Damon. Yeah. I mean, I'm in love with this version. <laughs> I really am. Um, if Again, if they, if they could take this one. Uh, and put it in, in into their little hall of fame, and this is the song that they would have come out to. Um, yeah, it's it's it doesn't rely heavily on you know stereotypes and 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 it's again it is a little garnish and it is a little sprinkle. Um, this this version with 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 that synth sound um, replacing the guitars. 
Ah, so good. (laughs) See, this is why I love this show, because I get to listen to all these little little classic things that bring me back to certain times and certain memories. And and this is absolutely one of them. Also, the Stinger produced one of the best wrestling T-shirts of all time, which is, you know, just Gato and Jato's faces and the words, fuck you, we are Jato and Gato, which is definitely, you know, an iconic wrestling T-shirt, Damon. Yeah, the first time I saw that, somebody was wearing it um, in the ECW arena at an ECW show. Um, And I was like, what in God's name is that? I thought it was, at first I thought it was a band because I, you know, we really weren't exposed to their uh, their T-shirts per se at that time. Usually that caught on, it felt like later on, right? Um, But yeah, I, I remember seeing a dude wearing it at the ECW arena. I was like, what in the fuck is that? Is that a band? And then later on, you know, he was like, oh, that was that shirt. Okay. Um, and it, it's almost be, it's almost taken a life of its own, the the lore of that particular T-shirt. Like, you see knockoffs of that all around the internet. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, like I said, it has it, it's taken a life of its own, that T-shirt. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Gato and Jado left Wing when it closed down in 94. They then went to War, which became their new home promotion. And then in 97, they got a new home promotion in FMW. But before we get to there, we'll take a little detour to World Championship Wrestling. That's where Gato wrestled Chris Jericho in a singles match at Halloween Havoc. So Gato's theme song in WCW is by Paul Greedis from the Focus Music Library. It's called Temple of the Dragon. You know how I said that the Bloods version of Sharp Dressed Man had like a nice little garnish of East Asian instrumentation to it? Well, this song is like a whole plate of just garnish. You know, there's nothing subtle about it whatsoever. This is just a big blaring siren going, Japanese wrestler over here. Hello, Japanese guy right here. You know, it's got the gong and the strings and the atmospheric flutes in the background. The title is Temple of the Dragon. It even has the most stereotypical piece of Asian music ever, which is... Like, you cannot get any more over-the-top and obvious with it. But then again, Damon, this is an American wrestling company in the 90s, and, you know, being over-the-top and obvious with Japanese wrestling themes is kind of their forte. <laughs> it, it, it is one of those things growing up as a fan of Japanese pro wrestling. And again, you're looking at what mid nineties around this time. And you, you thought that, I don't know that people would have wised up or just, I don't know, like wrestling would have changed. It's certainly 
wasn't what it is now for sure. And you still had this idea. You know, it felt like there were there was this old guard that didn't want to get rid of, you know, the Mr. Fuji throwing salt in people's eyes, <laughs> you know, and and you know, the great Muda or Jushin Liger or um, you know, later down the road, maybe even like a Yuji Nagata. Like you were just like you 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 thought that you know at the time that that old just just asinine mentality uh, of what they thought American pro wrestling fans could stomach when it came to a Japanese pro wrestler, um, you would you would have hoped that that would have I don't know somebody would have clued them in or wise them up or just <laughs> ask them to be better. But unfortunately, uh, here's where we are, right? And uh, it's funny because this you could take this tune and, you know, it doesn't feel like it's it's necessarily meant for anyone. Um, it doesn't seem like it, it, it's, it's tailor-made for any specific wrestler. This is generic Japanese pro wrestling guy. Um, and that's the exact feeling I get listening back to this now. Yeah, the two hallmarks of Japanese wrestlers in America are usually A, the stereotypical Asian song, and B, the shortening of their names. You know, it's not Tetsuya Naito and Yujiro Takahashi, it's just Naito and Yujiro. It's not Yoshihiro Tajiri, it's just Tajiri. Because apparently, American wrestling fans are just so stupid, they can't handle pronouncing two Japanese names. You know, it's, it's way too crazy, oh my god. But getting back to the song here... There's a real lack of urgency to it. Like, with the other Gato and Jado themes, there's a pace to them. There's a spark. There's some sort of momentum that drives the song forward and gives it, like, a real kick-ass quality, in a way. You think of Sharp Dressed Man. You think of that steady bass line that keeps it moving. Here, we don't get that. It feels a lot more tame, and it feels a lot more passive and really old-timey as well. You know, you don't hear this and think, okay, here comes Gato, this mean little punk. It's more like a song you would hear in an ancient Buddhist temple. So while I do understand the mindset of WCW being like, okay, this guy's coming in for a one-shot, just give him a random song, who gives a fuck, it still doesn't work all that well for him, Damon. No. And and it, and here's the thing, it wouldn't work for anyone, right? Um I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of some of the, the the people that did come out, and it's not like this was used just by the people that we're talking about here today, right? There's there's it seemed like there was a laundry list. Seemed like again, seemed like any guy who took the flight over from Japan and and wound up working a couple dates for WCW during this time was was plopped with this music. I got the list right here, yeah. Um, of course, there's Gato, but it was also used by Jushin Thunder Liger, Kaz Hayashi, Kensuke Sasaki, Koji Kanemoto, Shinjiro Otani, Yuji Nagata, Sonoko Kato, and even Yoshi Kwan, who wasn't even Asian. <laughs> it was Chris Champion who they dressed up as an Asian. So as lackadaisical as it all is, you know, it is unfortunately part of the course uh, with the company. And the era as well. I mean... WWF did the same thing with the Orient Express theme, where, you know, Aja Kong used it, and Bull Nakano, Takao Omori, even Al Snow used it when he was the Abunai the Ninja character. It's so amazing. It's just one big pot of uh, 
problematic stew, I guess, Damon. <laughs> it really is. And that's, it's not depressing, though. I mean, again, we're not talking this was 1947. I mean, this is 1995, 96, 97. And all those names that you listed, you know, when you think about them and, and just how different they are. And, and it, it, it's, again, it's, it's the fact that the people making the decisions were raised on, you know, bad 70s martial arts films. And, you know, because I hate to say it, but it feels like they're just so sheltered that that they truly believe that that is you know what people thought of a japanese pro wrestler that they were you know meditative and a buddhist monk and uh you know almost ninja-esque uh, and it's just like ugh, come on i mean i mean i mean let's be truthful here if look Pro wrestling does not have the greatest track record when it comes to uh, positive racial stereotyping, <laughs> right? But this is just another nail in that coffin, right? Um, again, we're not talking 1947. This is like 1997, um, which is – look, we've, we've come a long way, kids. Let's put it that way. We've come a long way. I mean I can remember just a few years ago when Kenta was still in WWE as Hideo Itami and his theme started with the, you know, the Asian strings. It's like, <laughs> can you just leave them out of that for once, please? And just give them a badass theme, please, please. I mean, and that was 2014 as well. But, you know, it is what it is, Damon, I guess. It's getting better. It's getting better. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe one day. Maybe. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, back to FMW here. Uh, Gato and Jado would be there from 97 to 2001, and the majority of their time there, they'd be part of the big heel stable Team No Respect, alongside Mr. Kanosuke and Koto Fuyuki and Wing Kanamura and Bad Boy Hito and a bunch of other ne'er-do-wells. Their theme in Team No Respect is by The Offspring, off of their album Smash. This is Come Out and Play, Keep Them Separated. You gotta keep them separated. So it's not hard to figure out why they were called Team No Respect. Uh, they were just a bunch of dudes who had no respect for FMW wrestlers or FMW management. And they were just 
prone to causing all sorts of mischief and mayhem. You know, your, your typical rowdy boy heel stable that you see in wrestling a ton. Well, Come Out and Play is the ultimate rowdy boy song because it's all about violence amongst young people. You know, gangs, fights, school shootings, like the latest fashion, like a spreading disease. The kids are strapping on their way to the classroom, getting weapons with the greatest of ease. One goes to the morgue and the other to jail. One guy's wasted and the other's a waste. I mean, disrespect is in the chorus of the song, for crying out loud. So, if you're going to have a group like this, which is all about being aggressive, confrontational, chaotic, violent bastards, then yeah, you choose this song for your theme, Damon. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, an early 90s alternative rock staple. Um, And, you know, it really wasn't, I don't even want to say it really wasn't designed to be. Um, Again, we're talking about a massive song um, that has that opening that is tailor-made for a guy popping through a a pro wrestling curtain from the back to the ring. Um, And and at the time, you know, this was one of, of, if not the biggest selling indie label record, I want to say of all time, um, in the United States. Um, I mean, it's it's peak, you know, we're in grunge mode, full tilt um, in the States. Um, punk rock has taken almost a, a, a commercial spin um, where bands are getting signed left and right. I, you know, it's fitting. I mean, there's a reason why Raven use this in ECW um, to be that anti-hero and that, that ant, you know, it's got, it had enough mainstream appeal that when the opening chords were hit, you know, people knew it and could, and could sing along to it. And at the same time, when it first came out, it still had a good taste of, of indie cred um, and badassness. And, and dare I say, you know, some punk rock element. I know we don't want to talk about that in pro wrestling nowadays. <laughs> Usually that's shunned and laughed at. But again, at the time when ECW was grimy and, you know, you're at that, that, that ECW arena, that bingo hall. Um, and you know, you didn't have, you, know, you had some unsavory characters in that crowd. Um, it worked and, and it works here. Um, you know, team, no respect. I, I, it's hard for me to think of a, a better theme song. And here's the thing. You gave off those lyrics. You read off those lyrics. I guarantee you three quarters of the people that listen to this show are like, oh, my God, that's what they're saying in that song? Yeah, that's what they're saying in that song. Um, it's not this happy-go-lucky song. It is about violence. And it is especially with the, you know, the youth um, in the 90s. So, yeah, I, I can't think of a better song for them. Well, first of all, um, as far as the album goes, you were right. This sold over 11 million copies worldwide, which makes it the highest-selling independent album of all time. So there you go. But as well, it's a major change from all those years that they had Sharp Dressed Man. Because Sharp Dressed Man, that's a rather braggadocio, look at us, look how cool we are kind of song. But it doesn't really venture into the world of physical violence. This one does. This is all about hurting people and gang warfare. Bash it up, bash it up, bash it up. Man, you disrespected me, take him out. There's a much more frenetic quality as well, which 
makes sense because it's, you know, a punk song. So this really does take things in a much darker and more aggressive direction with Gato and Jado's themes, Damon. Yeah. And again, you can't dismiss that opening, right? That that, that rim shot guitar, drum, you know, uh, on the snare and and the uh, the muted chords in the beginning, and then they fire away. Um, you know, like I said, it's a song that's kind of tailor made for pro wrestling entrances. Um, it's got a sing along quality, uh, but there is still that edge there that you know a team like Team No Respect, you know, it's a perfect fit. So yeah, the, I mean. I, I did say before that, to me, the the Bloods version of Sharp Dressed Man is is the one that I usually gravitate to most. But you can't go wrong with this song, especially in the nineties. <laughs> you just you're not gonna. It, it's it's a it's a it's a winner all the way around. Um, no matter who would use it, and trust me, there are plenty of indie guys that were using this song. Um, and then you know, popularized by these guys in Raven, it's a, it's a win. Yeah, and as well, I think it represents a change with Gato and Jada themselves, because this is when they started to lose some weight and get haircuts, and they started wearing the flame gear, so it wasn't just the theme song that was changing, it was also how the wrestlers looked. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, musically, stylistically, even wrestling style, it seemed like a little bit, there was, it was, it was a kind of like a line in the sand for them, and and, uh, they played up that early 90s aesthetic pretty perfectly actually uh before we move on i i do want to bring up the team no respect dance which for those who haven't seen it uh when team no respect made their entrance they would do a choreographed dance where they would put one arm vertical and one arm horizontal and they would sway back and forth to the music which is hysterical to watch because a it's all these, you know, deathmatch wrestlers doing a little dance. And B, they're dancing to Come Out and Play, which is not a dance song at all. So no. if you go on YouTube and look up a Team No Respect match, you'll see them do the entrance and do the dance. And it's quite fun to watch, Damon, especially with Gato and Jado doing it because, you know, it's Gato and Jado. <laughs> <laughs> they're not known for their nimble feet, that's for no, sure. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah, go go, go out of your way to watch that entrance that's... Uh... It is, it is pretty comical, actually. So in 2001, Gato and Jado left FMW in its dying days and went to New Japan, where they aligned themselves with Team 2000, beginning a long and fruitful career of them being part of New Japan Heel Stables. They started using a new theme that they first used in FMW, but brought over with them to New Japan. It's by Sugar Ray. Yes, that's Sugar Ray. Off the album Lemonade and Brownies, this is Caboose.
we've got another big change in regards to the flavoring of the Gato and Jado theme. We're moving away now from the violence and the disrespect and the punk mentality of Come Out and Play and moving into the sexed up new metal world of Caboose. There's still the aggression, there's still that kick to it and the energy and all that stuff, but this song is just straight up sexual energy from the get-go. I mean, the chorus is, I want to ride your caboose, turn me loose. And he ain't singing about choo-choo trains, folks, okay? <laughs> He's singing about sex. So it's a real big switch from where we used to be with the Gato and Jato themes, Damon. Yeah, it's probably my least favorite one, to be honest with you. I mean, aside from, uh, what, Temple of the Dragon. Um, this this is probably right up there. I guess, to me, this felt like and 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 still feels like every I want to say wannabe tough guy pro wrestler in this time frame like this you know how like people talk about how you could hear an 80s song from you know a mile away you know you just it just has a sound and a feel like this is in you know I mean you you listen to this and you know up oh, we're mid 90s right or even you know maybe even a little bit later and that new metal is not my scene it's not my sound but you heard it constantly in 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 pro wrestling um and even to this day to a certain degree um i know we've kind of thank god we've grown out of it but it, it does feel like you know your 13 year old brother finally discovering music and this is what he gravitates to <laughs> Well, I'll say that I actually do enjoy this song. It's pretty catchy to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Subjective art form and all that stuff. But yeah, it is definitely of an era. And if you look at the lyrics, they're not exactly the most high class lyrics in the world. No. Um, I feel mean. You look clean. You're the best woman that I ever seen. Too loud. Too bad. The things we're going to do. Don't tell your dad. Well, I'm a king. You're a queen. Can't be royal because we're so obscene. I can't breathe. I'm out of air. When I'm back here, all I see is your hair. I mean, (laughs) the writing's on the wall there, folks, as are some various bodily fluids. But (laughs) but yeah, if if Sharp Dressed Man was the simple Ladies Want to Be With Me song, this one goes a lot further with just how sexually charged it all is. Which, again, it's a bit awkward because it's Gato and Jato. And those two guys, you do not associate them with sexiness whatsoever. Like Tanahashi, sure. That guy can make a nun break her vows. But Gato and Jado, eh, not so much, Damon. No, no. But what's, who's the, what's it, was it Mark McGrath, is it? Is that the? Correct, yes, yes. Ah, oh, look at me. Look at me with my sugar right knowledge. Um, yeah, I mean, that's who that guy was. And even, I guess, to a certain degree, he is today. But back in 95 yeah this is this is this is sugar ray all right and i just hate the way especially now that you've read off those lyrics the way that he tries to shoehorn in every rhyme it's just terrible oh uh like like to me sugar ray would be the modern or you know would be the equivalent today of like what band would you? I would go Nickelback. Like they would? Would you go Nickelback for for a comparison? Sugar Ray. I suppose. I mean, they are very close in terms of you know when they really broke out. 
you know, Sugar Ray was late 90s, Nickelback was early 2000s, so I suppose they're on a, you know, a similar frequency. Yeah, like like Sugar Ray took took the torch, right? And passed it to Nickelback, right, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right, that's exactly right. Yeah, I guess yep. so, I guess so, yeah. But, um, you know, again, the intent is important to consider here, too, you know, because they're heels, they're intense, so they will rub it in your faces, hey, we bang all these chicks, even if it isn't actually true. You know, they're still going to put that energy out there to be dicks about it. So I suppose it makes sense in that regard, Damon. You got to respect that, right? Even when you know you don't got it, you fake it until you make it, you know, you got to respect that. Also, a little fun fact about this song here, uh, it was also used by Francine on the indie scene and Michael Shane. And when Michael Shane was in TNA, his theme song Machine was a ripoff of Caboose. So there you go. I did not know. I'm trying to think back. Francine's music. Man, um, I believe um, she used it in MLW. Ah. Uh, in the uh, original right. run of MLW back in the day. I was usually going for my fast forward button. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I may have missed it. Okay. Okay. So throughout the 2000s, uh, Gato and Jada would hop around the various heel stables in New Japan. They went from Team 2000 in 01 to CTU in 03 to Great Bash Heel in 07, and then to Chaos in 09. And at some point during these jumps, they got a new theme song by Inosuke Kitamura, which they would use into the 2010s. It's off of the album NJPW 40th Anniversary Raising an Army. It's called What's Up, Dog? You know the combination. Stinger for this one. You know the combination. I'm an idiot because for a long time I was like, the hell does that even mean? And then I figured it out. Oh, duh. It's the combination of the tag team, Gato and Jato. Duh. So that's what it means. Besides that, again, 
another big change up in terms of the Gato and Giotto uh, theme here. We've had the classic 80s rocker. We've had the stereotypical Asian song. We've had the punk song. We've had new metal. This is the hip hop slash rap rock theme with the hip hop beats, the rapping, the police sirens, the down and dirty guitar riffs. So again, Damon, we're changing up the vibe of the themes as we go along here. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, while it may not stand the test of time for some of these, at least the music that they had control over, as strange as it sounds, they really kind of felt like they had their finger on the pulse of what was current at that time. Again, it, may, it might not have stood the test of time, um, but at that time it was probably the right musical choice for them. Um, I listened to this for the first time in, I can't tell you how many, I don't think I've ever listened to the full song, except for this week. Uh, Andrew, would would you happen to have any of those lyrics in front of you there, pal? (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing about, you know, a lot of New Japan themes. Unlike Sharp Dressed Man and Kabound Play and Caboose, we don't have the lyrics for a lot of in-house themes on hand. And as well, the vocals and the vocal effects don't really make it easy to transcribe either. So you get some snippets here and there, like you feel no pain, pain in the ass, don't cream my jeans, y'all, which (laughs) is a peculiar line right there. But (laughs) the rest of it is uh, mostly hard to decipher. The one line that I think is clearest of all is payo dues, you payo dues, you payo dues, which I guess, you know, falls in line with them being the veterans of the roster. But the rest of it, it's kind of a mishmash of lyrics there, Damon. Yeah. Um, so here, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. So when um, I was listening to these songs, uh, I'm in the car and I'm, I had them on my phone and decided to play them to the through the Bluetooth and just to get a little taste. Uh, this happened to be at the same time. My wife's in the car. We're going to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at me and she goes, is this guy saying cream my jeans? And I had to, uh, I do, I had to acknowledge that. Yeah, I believe the gentleman is saying cream in my jeans. Um, so needless to say, it made for an interesting dinner conversation <laughs> that evening. Um, uh, you look, it, this is that r- hip-hoppy, r- rappy, and almost kind of bleeding into that, uh, you know, new, I, I don't even think it's new metal. Look at me trying to, to, to find uh, music genres that would fit this. Um, again, the one thing that sticks in my mind is the that, that particular lyric. Um, and I don't think I'll ever forget the look uh, on my wife's face when, when she's hearing these pro wrestling themes. I mean, ultimately, it's a very gritty, grimy sort of song with the nasty guitar riffs. And like I said, it, it falls in line with Gato and Giotto being the, the grimy veterans of the roster. You know the combination. They've been around forever. They're in their 40s at this point and, and all these heel stables like CTU and, and GBH and early chaos, and they're very confrontational and in-your-face, like their older songs were, but that was more of a youthful punk attitude. This is more like the elder statesmen throwing their weight around because they're older than you, they're craftier, and because they can. Yeah. this I remember um, when they did their tour of the U.S., 
um, with Jersey All Pro, and they ran a, a, a three shows, one in New York, one um, Rahway, and one in Philly. And they were on that tour. And I just remember, like, you know, CTU, obviously, with Liger, and, and Godo was in that stable, and Milano Collection AT, and these two were, were, were in there as well. And I, I, for some reason, I had this kind of, I don't want to say weird fascination with CTU. I, I, I thought the name was just, I, I found it to be weird, but in a very cool way. I like the T-shirts, the uh, the black and the gold with a little, the almost like spray painted on logo. I don't know. I thought they were a cool faction. I think they were one of the more underrated factions in New Japan. Um, I was always a big fan, and seeing them on that tour and you know getting autographs and everything. I don't know. It kind of that might have sparked a renewed interest in both of them. Um, and I know CTU definitely did. So this was this was actually a good time. And and again, I don't necessarily rem- remember this song as vividly as I do the other ones, but um, just listening back to it, I was like, ah, that that's where it took me. It took me back to those three shows and kind of uh, again my love for CTU. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Beretta's theme when he was still in New Japan, like mm. that same trashy street hip-hop with the sirens and whatnot um or like the old carl anderson theme gone gone gig gig gone catch up big max extra cheese yeah extra sauce you know that that one where it's hip-hop but it's also got the rock influence in there and the lyrics are kind of you know nonsensical in a lot of ways but um but yeah moving on now to 2018 where in a shocking turn of events gato betrayed his longtime friend and mentee okada with uh, the worst-looking chair shot of all time, I might add. He left Chaos and became Jay White's new manager. And then, soon after, Jado would also turn his back on Chaos, and the three of them would join Bullet Club. And it's been a, a whirlwind of heel chicanery ever since. They, of course, would start using the Bullet Club theme by Kubrick off of NJPW Greatest Music 5. This is Shot'em. Bullet Club. Four, 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 four. So as I brought up before, a lot of Gato and Jado themes have an urgency to them, a kick, a drive. This one, not so much. It's slower, a lot more plodding and deliberate, uh, certainly in comparison to What's Up Dog, but that's not necessarily a bad thing in this case. You know, it, it works for them here, because Bullet Club are a dominant heel stable and very sinister in their actions, and you don't have to cram in all these sound effects and 
fast-moving parts into a song to showcase that. You, you can be slower and just have that one simple heavy guitar to convey them as bad guys. You know, sometimes less is more. And unlike Temple of the Dragon, which was also quite deliberate, this one actually fits them, Damon. Yeah, and I think one of the things... And I don't know if New Japan gets enough credit for this. Um, I, I, I grew up in an era, uh, you know, where standard hits, you know, were played before copyright issues and, and people suing people for playing their songs. Um, you know, you grow up in that era and then, you know, you, you kind of go into an era where you're making music specifically tailored for that specific pro wrestler. And so those particular tracks uh, become iconic and memorable and a part of your pro wrestling fandom. And then there was this, it felt like maybe there was this period where you really didn't get that as much as you wish you could have. Um, and it probably ended in, in the early 90s, right? Um, and especially when it comes to New Japan. But then, you know, you have iconic songs. And I, I you have to put this at the at the near the top of of one of those tracks. It's not one of those, you know, foot stomping songs. It's not one of those put your hands in the air kind of songs. But you it does have a a sense of fear and foreboding and and shit's about ready to drop um and it and it i want to go so far as to say it's as iconic as say like an nwo theme but it's it's cut from the same cloth um and i think it's a little bit more of a modern spin on that um i i really feel like this is an one of one of the most iconic tracks in the past 10 years um and i and, I, and it's recognizable um and yet, still, it's modern and different from your normal guitar, 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 guitar. Um, and I, I got to tip my hat to them for that. I think this, this is this is one of the best pro wrestling themes of all time. Wow, high praise then. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I actually like the original Bullet Club theme, uh, Last Chance Saloon, more than this one. But I still think this one works quite well for them. Um, especially getting across just how dangerous they can be. You know, look at the lyrics. I killed a human. I shot him with my gun. I killed a human. I think I'm on the run, which is like an extra layer of sinister that we don't get with the original Bullet Club theme. And as well, I think just the overall sound of the song, it's not like this is a fun song. You know, it's pretty doom and gloom and, and direful, which again, goes along with the heel nature of the stable. So I don't really have much else to say about it, but you're right, Damon. This does work so well for them. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a ballsy move, too. Like, it, again, it's very easy to just go in and uh, give me a heavy guitar because we're heels and, you know. But this, I, I, I felt like this takes a little bit of guts to be like, no, this is the song. This is the song that we're going to come out to. This is, you know, this is, this is what represents our aesthetic, uh, as the kids would say. So, no, I'm all in on it. Um, again, but look. There's pluses and minuses from the the output that Bullet Club, and again, you can you could praise them for all the good things, and there's plenty of things that you could hand wave and push aside. 
Um, I think this song is one of the best. I really do. Um, and again, I appreciate the fact that they went with their guts um, and the, and and had the cojones to 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 do something like this, especially for a team and and a faction that they knew they were going to push to the moon. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, that was our look at the Gato and Jado themes. And uh, with Gato and Jado, you know, I think nowadays their importance backstage is leaps and bounds greater than it is in the ring, um, especially for Jado, because at this point, his bones are made of paper mache and graham crackers. You know, he can barely take a bump. But in terms of backstage and creative and steering New Japan in the right direction, I think Gato and Jado have a lot more to give to that company. And they've given so much already. You know, all the success, all of the guidance that I'm sure they've given to younger wrestlers over the years, their influence is, you know, pretty massive. So as long as they stay healthy and keep their juices flowing and stay on the right track, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of Gato and Jado in these big roles in New Japan for a long time to come, Damon. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and it is amazing when you think about the shelf life of an average booker. Um, you, you you would think that you only have so many creative ideas that that you have. You know, it's almost like a band and, and how many albums they can put out. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you got a lot of, ca- you know, a, a lot in your head that you need to get out still. And it feels like the same way here. So, uh, no, I think he's one of the most influential people in the entire history of pro wrestling. Um Japanese wrestling, American wrestling, the whole the whole run. So um, yeah, this is this this was fun to actually listen back to some of these songs and bring back some really great memories. So I, as always, uh, I truly appreciate hopping on and talking with you about this. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. You know, it's it's always so much fun when you're on here, Damon, uh, chatting about New Japan and, and music and and wrestling. It's it's always a blast for sure. And that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Damon, thank you again for being here. Um, any plugs you want to give, go right ahead. Well, yeah, we do uh, the Super J cast. Um, and I'm proud to say that uh, by far, <laughs> uh, we uh, seem to have our fingers on the pulse of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we do, and we do, and we do it every single week with my, uh, my great co-host, Joel Abraham. Um, so... Uh, we are on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, um, the Super Jcast, and you can follow us uh, on Twitter if you'd like at the Super Jcast. All right, and Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, just like the Super Jcast is. You can check out other great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. You can discuss the podcast and other topics at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click on the big Donate button underneath the name Music of the Mat. You can also donate to the Super Jcast and throw a few bucks their way. I'm, I'm sure you'd appreciate that, Damon. I'd love it. If you do donate, hey, thanks so much. And finally, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Damon, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. For Damon McDonald, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys.
Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.